Do you know how much money I would donate to a an initiative to put in a beer garden club level, like exactly what you're talking about? Yeah. It would be a lot more than I've donated so far. Wouldn't take much, would it? <laughs> Tech Hockey Guide presents the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the WCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, and Dustin Lindstrom. Welcome to episode 23 of the second season of the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, presented by Tech Hockey Guide. I'm Tim Brown, your host, and I'm joined this week by Dustin Lindstrom. Hey everyone, Rob Gilreath. Hey guys, and Matt Cavender. I forgot the day we were recording. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's see. Our special guest this week is someone most of our listeners should know. It's the old dog himself, Mike Antleitner. Woof woof. <laughs> there we go. That worked. Uh, this week we'll be discussing the Frozen Four if we feel like it. I'm sure we'll talk more about the transfer portal. We did have an abbreviated Joe Sean hour from April 26th we can talk about. We got a couple questions from you guys, and then I guess the biggest news of the uh, since we last talked is Joe Sean got his extension. So we can dig into that since I don't even think we really did an article about it. It just kind of, we had the press release, and then the guys at Tech Hockey Guide have seen the contract, but uh, we can go over that a little bit. Anything else I'm missing that we want to talk about, guys? Not from here. Maybe that guy getting a seven ten split on TV. Oh yeah, we'll see. We'll see if uh, Matt derails us with that one later. The the ginger assassin. Yeah. The ginger assassin. Let's this let's let's hold off. This bear of the day is brought to you by. Before we take a break, I wanted to touch on one more thing. We've got a Zoom chat with head coach Joe Sean set up uh, for May. I am still working on confirming everything, but it looks like it'll be May 17th or 18th, most likely May 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. We'll probably just stick with the that time and go from there. Now a brief message from our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk about, uh, give you some background on Mike Antleitner, the old dog. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, welcome back. So we've got Mike here for the first time on the podcast, and let's just start with one of our questions. It came from Andy Bordeaux on uh, one of the Discord dogs, and he wanted to know your tech history. I, I'll just read what he said. Would love to get Old Dog's tech, hi- uh, tech hockey history and MTU history. Sure. Well... I started at Tech in 1968, but my interest in uh, Tech hockey went back to 1962 when I was 12 years old and uh, I loved hockey. I had a hard time in my house because I couldn't watch Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday because that's when Gunsmoke was on. 
My mother, my father didn't like hockey. So I oh, saved no. my money and bought my own TV so I could watch uh, Canadian TV in Detroit suburbs. Um, but I, I noticed in the back of the free press in the little small, you know, four point type or agate type, whatever it is about tech winning the national championship. And I got real excited about that because even then I was thinking about becoming an engineer. And that was the year, of course, when Lou Angotti and, uh, um, those guys won the national championship. And I started following tech a little bit, although it was really hard to follow college sports uh, other than the big, the few big time sports like basketball and football in those days. Um, and of course, then they wanted to get in 65. And uh, then I became a freshman in 1968. Three of the four years I was there, the tech went to the NCAA tournament. Um, my senior year was the year that the uh, arena opened up. I was fortunate enough to be one of the speakers at the dedication of the arena I was one of the two people who proposed we name it after John McInnes. John was still with us at the time. Um, but really, the history that I know about it goes all the way back to the 50s. Text hockey wasn't uh, much to write home about for, for its, most of its history. Uh, Alma Bassone, who later coached at Michigan State for many years, was the coach for a while. He didn't have a winning season, so they hired uh, Al Renfrew, who actually grew up in Toronto with uh, John McInnes. As kids, they played hockey together. Uh, Renfrew was, had five years at Tech. He finally had a winning season his last year and uh, went to the NCAA tournament for the first time Tech ever did. And then he left right away to go to North Dakota, spent a year in North Dakota before going to Michigan. Well, after Renfrew left, that's when they hired John McInnes. And uh, the good things happened after that. It took John only a year or two to get his, his, his uh, style established, get his people going. And the one thing you knew about it was when you went to see Tech play, Number one, they were going to play very hard. Number two, he was going to have some skilled players at key positions. And uh, they were going to be in every game almost every time. And uh, the only losing season I saw as a student was my senior year, the first year the arena opened. Half the games were played at D Stadium then. Uh, half were played at the uh, at the Student Ice Arena, as it was called then. But watching games at D was a lot of fun. It was bitterly cold in that arena. I can't tell you how cold it was to spend three <laughs> you know, almost three hours in that arena because you had to get there unless you had a season ticket. And there were only about 400 students tickets available and the seniors and the juniors got first crack on. You had to stand in line starting about four thirty or five o'clock. You didn't get admitted till six o'clock. So you're outside in, you know, zero weather or colder for an hour to hour and a half. You got inside in some ways it's colder inside than outside. And uh, you had to stand up on the rails in the back behind the, everything and watch it. The games were exciting. The guys didn't wear face masks. Uh, when the Canadians came in to play the first game of the season, their goalies didn't wear masks at all. Um, the helmets they wore were just these cheap little Cooper things that uh, basically protect you from getting cut. Uh, there was chicken wire, and the balcony overhung the goal on one end, so people would literally lean over the balcony and scream obscenities at the visiting goalie when he was down there. <laughs> when, when players went in the corners, and if you got pinned against the, the chicken wire, Fans would try and poke the opposing players in the eye right through the chicken wire. So it was a vicious place to play. But a lot of the WCHA arenas were like that. I mean, I never went on the road. But uh, it was really an interesting place to play. And if you've ever, I don't know, if any of you ever skated at D, at the D? Yeah, we did a rental for two years when I was at Tech. Yeah, I, I don't know how it Wednesday, is. Wednesday nights at 11 o'clock. I don't know how I ever managed to do that and go to class the next day. Now it would kill me. But, <laughs> well, yeah, we did. I curled it's definitely there. a building you walk into. Yeah. I curled is there. 
No. You curled there. Wow. <laughs> wow. Curling at Wayne State, that was a different story at a different time. Um, at, th at that time, you know, because it's sh it was a shorter rink, I assume it still is shorter than regulation. And most of the distance was taken out between the two blue lines. So the center ice zone was really skinny. And, and uh, you know, as soon as, as soon as they got over the first center line, they were in the other zone. You were in the other zone. So there's a lot of offense. The game moved very, very quickly. And it was a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to watch. So after, after I graduated, I got drafted, and it became very, very hard to follow tech hockey. Um, and, you know, hard for you guys maybe to understand what it was like, but the only way you could have actually followed tech hockey at the time is if you had a mailed subscription to the Daily Mining Gazette. There was almost nothing in the Detroit papers about it on a regular basis. There was nothing in any papers about it very often other than local papers where the, where the games were played. And uh, certainly we kept up with it. Uh, Mrs. Dog and I tried to as best we could. We, we did watch the 75 championship game on TV and have watched the tape several times since then. Um, but, you know, when, when John got sick, when McGinnis died, uh, things really took a turn for the worse. And uh, really Tex only had three or four coaches that have had winning records with more than a year or two of coaching experience. And so um, after like McGinnis left, that, took, we met? yeah. Yep, that was one of my biggest points in the show where we debated uh, how uh, how much we wanted to have Joda back. I know all of, everyone was on board with that, especially Dawson. Well, <laughs> I know I've, I've read I've read his uh, comments about it, but you know he is one of the few guys who's had a winning <laughs> winning record over over the over a, a protracted period. If you count four years as protracted, and in tech coaching history, that is a long haul, actually, in many cases. So, um, but when the internet started, we started trying to watch again. We have a pretty active alumni group here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we actually started going to Buffalo Wild Wings whenever the whenever the, the Huskies were on uh, the WCHA broadcast. But typically, they were playing in North Dakota and got their butts kicked, uh, so <laughs> it wasn't always fun. But you know, a lot of beer and a good time was had by all. But uh, you know, the, the, the part of it I saw was in the '60s and the '70s when Tech was really on top of the world, and it was it was glorious. The only thing is, it may be hard for younger people to understand is when we were students, we just took their success for granted. It was like, yeah, of course, we're going to the NCAA tournament this year. What, would it, what else would it be? The one year it didn't, it was like, what happened? How did this go wrong? <laughs> what so I don't guys, think we knew. You guys were like North Dakota fans then. Oh, well, we weren't, we weren't snotty about it. <laughs> I mean, we still had the band. And we, you know, it, wasn't quite, it wasn't anywhere like what you guys have seen, but um, we weren't snotty about it at all. And they, the Great Lake Tournament was the place we used to see them every year. And probably the greatest uh, thrill I ever got was the year they won the NCAA tournament, the Great Lakes Tournament. It was a great game. Dan Farrell, who I knew at Tech, uh, I used to babysit for Dan's kids. Dan was the assistant coach at Tech under McGinnis, and then he moved on to become the head coach at Michigan. And they were playing Michigan in the finals of the Great Lakes Tournament at the Olympia. We had these fabulous seats. They were in what's called the loge section, which is this little tiny balcony that hung over the almost over the ice. And Michigan got ahead two to nothing in the first two periods, and Tech couldn't do anything. And then in the third period, with less than five minutes to go, Mike Zook scored a couple goals, and all of a sudden they won the game three to two with less than a minute to go. And everybody was having such a good time afterwards at the arena. We actually got locked in Olympia because we got stuck. We were in the Olympia club drinking. We got lost trying to get out of there. And we were actually in there after they blocked up the building and had to find somebody 
one of the janitors to let us out of the building. Um, that was one of the last great hurrahs we had down at, uh, down at uh, the Great Lakes until just recently. So, you know, there was a long desert there. It was like being a Red Wing fan, which I am, which was watching the Red Wings, you know, go through just absolute hideous existence for 30 years, 30, 40 years almost after the, the, the Hall era. Um, and then having the glory of it coming back. I'm still waiting for Tech to come back to the level I want them to be at. Um, but, you know, once you're bit by the bug, as you guys have been, it doesn't go away. It stays with you all the time. And so it's been a great part of our life. It's, it's a big part of the winter now for Mrs. Dog and I to tune in the game, see them, go see them when we can. We've gone to Arizona. We've gone to Vegas. We've gone to Huntsville a couple times. Um, which are all things you can do pretty well out of Dallas. So uh, we love it. I don't think we'll ever stop loving it. Um, we get frustrated like everyone else does, uh, yelling at the screen. Mrs. Dog is yelling at the screen even more than I am sometimes. Uh, and believe me, she knows all the words, having gone to tech. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot of fun and a uh, big part of my life in the wintertime. So I don't know if that gives everyone a, a bit of a feeling for it. but uh, No, I think that's good. Anybody want to talk about it, discuss it? I uh, I was kind of laughing how you went through one of the things I wanted to talk about because the WCHA is still tweeting apparently. I was kind of surprised by that, but they one of the ones they posted recently was career coaching wins leaders by schools, and Michigan Tech has f- like five of the people on that list have mm-hmm. connections to Michigan Tech, right. with Amo Bassoni being the win- winningest at Michigan State and Al Renfro the winningest at Michigan. And then you can throw in Mike Serdich at UMD before he came to Tech, and then Damon Witten, the former assistant, and winning us at Lake State. Now, obviously, some of that's because he's one of the few coaches to actually coach Lake State in the WCHA. But right. still, it was kind of interesting to see that. List. Isn't he the only coach to coach him in the WCHA? Wasn't he his first year at Lake State? The first year of the WCHA of them being in the WCHA. No, Does I think he? it was a year or two afterwards because he was an assistant at Tech when they. But he year, may have been an assistant at Tech through the the two years. He may have left. You might be right, Dustin. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's cl- he was an assistant at Tech under Mel, but Mel did have two years with the the old, mm-hmm. or when it was still before the Lakers came in. I don't know when exactly that happened. No, he he can't be the only one because Dallas Ferguson. Well, no, well, was Jim Roke before him, right? Did it go straight from Roke to? Yeah, but if Witten. if Dallas Ferguson is listed as having wins in twenty thirteen on the thing, but Damon Witt, so Damon came in. He there's one year that's not him, so he's basically the only choice. Not that a hundred ninety nine wins is shabby. It's really not. It's. I mean, There's probably not, uh, some topic at some podcast at some point of discussing Damon and his success. Yeah. But so uh, I, I found that interesting that you know you kind of went through all those guys and and yeah that's like Michigan Tech's coaches before John McGinnis were actually pretty good choices. They just didn't have the majority of their success at um, Michigan Tech. Because well, until he came one. and stayed, it was kind of a, a stepping stone school. Right. It was pretty wild. It was a pretty wild and woolly place in those days. I mean, you know, the campus was uh, 
not much to write home about. The hockey players lived in barracks out behind what is now Rose Auditorium. They literally lived in World War II era barracks. They didn't let them live in the dorms because most <laughs> of them were wild kids from what, you know, rural Canada, either from yeah. Northern Ontario or the prairies. And they weren't very civilized. <laughs> uh, I remember a story about when they finally moved them into the dorms, Jim Nargang repeatedly one night came home uh, after a few pops and literally ripped the door off the hinges in co-ed hall. <laughs> so, For you um, youngins, that's McNair. Yes, that is that that that. But it, 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 that's all it was at the time. In fact, I, the second phase of that wasn't built till we were seniors. Yeah. So. No, that's good. So I guess the first topic that we had to go over was the Frozen Four results because we we previewed it on the last podcast and then we took a couple weeks off here and and now we can talk about it. Uh, it feels like a really long time ago, um, but. I think, um, I don't know. I know going into it that I, I don't even remember where we were at when we recorded. Had the news dropped yet about the the UMass guys not being able to play? I don't remember. It's been I don't a while. even know where we were with what we said. But, like, I, I know after it dropped that my whole point was that, like, um that it seems like if there was a team in this, well, UMD is another example, but like it felt like UMass was deep enough that their, their experience could overcome the adversity and that the, the coach and the program he's built there, it was like the perfect kind of situation in some ways for them to, to find a way to overcome that. And they ended up doing that. But I remember Matt talking about thinking it was, uh, kind of over but go ahead dustin we, we probably should mention that it was pretty pathetic that duluth couldn't even beat a, what is essentially a half strength umass team i'd be <laughs> pretty embarrassed if i was duluth <laughs> hi biddy <laughs> he, he did admit to me that he listens regularly so that was good no? <laughs> so yeah it was uh that's good Take a take a shot at our one UMD fan that listens regularly. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I wouldn't call it pathetic. I was honestly surprised that for as awesome as UMD has been in overtime, how bad they looked in overtime in that game. I remember specifically being like, "What's going on with them? Like they look, they look like they played." the eight period game the night before not a week and a half before right like it it looked like they were spent Mm -hmm. and i it just didn't make sense to me because they've never been that way they've usually always been a team that gets better as the game goes on not not uh getting worse at the end um well tim i i think i think that umass's speed wore them out yeah umass's speed was insane that's as fast a college hockey team as i i think i've ever seen and they just weren't fast. Their first steps were lightning quick, and they never they never locked up their skates when they're going to the corners. I mean, they just they just kept digging the entire time. And I think it took its toll on Duluth. I, yeah. Duluth hadn't played a team with that kind of speed, not even North Dakota. And I think it took its toll on them when they got to overtime. And UMass kept coming at them with this, basically the same speed for a good part of it until everybody got tired. I think so it just wore them out. I think they were beat. Yeah, I don't know. 
I think it's a pretty good analysis of what happened. And what I like to kind of compare it to is, like, if you think of, like, the Miracle on Ice sequence, everyone always thinks about, like, the U.S. beating the Soviets, but that was not the gold medal game. It was beating the Finns that won the gold medal. The way that I kind of think about that is, like, in the the story arc of the UMass season, that's their Soviets. You know, like, that's the biggest hurdle they had to get over. And then I think once they had the mental barrier of excising their demon of UMD, then I I had a feeling it was just going to go straight to the championship. Yeah. No, I didn't. I, yeah, I figured UMass would win. Especially uh, after they especially got Especially when they got their, their players, players back. back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when they were able to come back, that definitely uh, was definitely a boost for them. Yeah, especially to be yeah. I guess the interesting thing to me that really isn't like analysis of the Frozen Four per se, but how does a program like UMass end up building a team that fast? Like how do you, how, you know what I mean? Like how do you end up being able to put that team together at at a program? Like I know the I forget his name, the coach because he came from St. Lawrence, right? Carvel. Carvel. Carvel yeah. yeah. Like, I know he's done a great job and the whole new mass thing that he's developed, but how do you take a program like UMass was and end up with, like you said, Mike, uh, like the fastest team that I've seen in a long time? How, how do you pull that off? Like, how do you get that group of players? Like, you just because I, I mean, I guess one thing is, is that they're a lot of the players are not. Uh, you know, they're not Massachusetts kids, that's for sure. And I know I saw some article about how uh, now that UMass has done this, they can get some of the kids from Massachusetts. And I know the article I read was about why would they do that? They, they're they they're kicking butt doing what they've been doing. Why would they change things now just because they can? And and uh, But I, I found it interesting that how, how quickly he's turned that program around and turned it, I mean, like, like a speed demon team. Like, I don't understand how you pull that off that that that's been an amazing turnaround for that program it's definitely incredible it kind of has that like lester winning the premier league kind of feel to it but (laughs) um i I think the best like answer to your question that i have is that i think in the development of players today they're very like what have you done for me lately results kind of focused and when you think of you know Recent UMass alumni, there's one big name that stands out, and that's Kale McCarr. You know, he's probably the fastest, best, like, offensive defenseman the NCAA has produced, at least in the last 10 years, maybe ever. And I think a lot of kids think, hey, this is where Kale McCarr went. He's really good. If they're going to give me a chance, why wouldn't I go there and give it a shot? I think they have... Because they have that one star player, that one like once in a generation lightning in a bottle, they get more quality players that feel like that might be the move for them. Yeah, but th- that that turnaround, that quick turnaround that you're talking about, Tim, this isn't the first time it's happened. No. L- look at Union. How many years was it from Union being absolutely terrible to winning the national championship? It wasn't very much. You get a few good recruits, you have a good coach. You can turn it around. Providence. Sure. Providence was awful. Five years later, they won a national championship. I mean, yeah. you just and need I the right, think some you, of you it put is the right that, pieces yeah. together, you can do it. Yep. You, 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 I, a lot of it is just recognizing kids at the right moment. You know, I'm sure some of it is luck of scouting kids at the, on, on the right day. 
that you get to see that glimmer and find them. Because I know, like, even, I think Joe even said on one of his shows, I thought they talked, or maybe that was on one of our things, I don't remember anymore, but he was talking about Katarok. If I remember correctly, he was talking about how somebody went over to watch him and wasn't impressed. And I forget who it was, but they ended up sticking with him and letting him come or like committing to him, even though their one game wasn't the best. But imagine if they hadn't been getting the right feedback from the right people to make that decision. You don't have him on the team last year. Like it, it's so and you can obviously see a kid on a bad day or a good day. And make all sorts of opinions about them. I mean, we, Dustin, I remember how much we were talking up the, I can't, he went to CC, but the kid from, I forget who it was now, Minnetonka kid. I remember us going to some games and being like, I know these guys are all committed, but I would get this kid. Was it, I forget who it was now. I feel like I have to look that up. There's a few good (laughs) examples of that where we went and watched high school games and kids jumped out you you know one that really jumped out that we watched at one point and i don't know if you saw it on tv saw him on tv or in person um i think it might have been on tv uh Sorensen played for Wyzetta. he ended Sorensen. up at northern yep uh hank Sorensen. yeah hank Sorensen. we i remember watching him at Wyzetta and, I, and i'm like we should we should go after this kid and somebody's like he's never gonna make it in d1 I think it was on one of the message boards. He's not good enough. Well, he's playing for Northern now, and he's not bad. Yeah. Who the heck um, was that? When he can stay out of the stay out of the uh, yeah, he's, the he's got the penalty list. box issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's true. That's true. I mean, he's he's skilled, but yeah, he's got those issues. Um, that's that you could say that about many players on Northern's roster. I feel the like. kid I'm thinking of was Sam Rothstein. What about what about on Minnetonka? Yeah. Our, he's, he's our recruit, right? Right. We, we saw him play in high school, and he looked unstoppable. Like he looked like an elite level recruit when we saw yeah. him in high school, and he hasn't seemed to put it together yet in, in the juniors. Yeah, I think he's just I. He he kind of reminds me of the of the whole portal situation where I think he's really struggling. Like, I doubt he ever had adversity through his time at Minnetonka. He's been a spoiled kid on a great team the whole time and struggled with that, and now he's finally having it in juniors, and instead of working through it, he gets traded to a new team, and he's struggling with that and hasn't really found it yet. Not that he can't, but sometimes I mean, that just happens with those He's got those the talent. Kids. I mean, you, yeah. you could see he's got the skill, he's got the talent, it, it, and it's just a matter of, is he applying himself the right way? Is he getting into a groove? Is he feeling comfortable? I mean, the yeah. mental part of the game, who knows? I mean, not being there, who knows? But yeah. it, there's no denying that, that he had all the talent that he needed. No, and, and, and one of the things I see it. is, you know, you get to that point, the, the talent gradient from 16, 17-year-old hockey, whether it's college hockey or the AAA model that Michigan uses, is steep, steep, steep. And when you take each step up, there's also a test of that young man's mental toughness. And you were talking about it, Tim, about never had adversity. You get up and you play against these kids who are as good as you are for the first time, and all of a sudden you can't dominate them. Some guys never recover from that. Some people just can't take it. They, once, once they're not able just to do it the way they want to, 
you know, play the way they want to. I think that's some of the problems, you know, that Sean's had at Tech. You can't play the style you want to that you've played in the past. They're not mature enough to overcome that and step up and say, I've got to learn to play a different way if I want to play at the next level. I'm not good enough to just dominate the game. And I think you see a lot of that with some of those players. that you They look flashy in a, in a game like that. And it can also be they played a weak team that night when you see them. So you just don't know, but I think a lot of well, just we, we usually toughness. went to the premier matchups because that okay. was when we had time to go. Okay. We would go watch when, Blaine when, Minnetonka or whatever. When we yeah. saw Doctor, when we saw Doctor Minnetonka was number two in the state, and they played Andover, who was number one. Okay, so it was yeah. it was so. the two te- two top teams in you know, Minnesota. So okay, it was high end competition. But at the same time, like it, I don't know how much of it's. Uh, but as awesome as he was too, he was the the number two D man on that team, right? Who I forget who the number one guy was. Uh, didn't he go to Denver? I think so. Uh, but yeah, it's and that kind of ties into the whole Ludke. Ludke, yeah. Ludke was committed to Northern, and he jumped ship for Denver. That's what it was. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, this whole discussion of all that the the plateauing and and the adversity all ties into the to the the transfer portal and what that's become. Uh, I know I I seem to be on an island sometimes in our group discussions on that, but um, like I see how much it can hurt college hockey as we know it, but I also don't really have a problem with it. The bigger problem, the bigger problem with the transfer portal to me is the the family advisors pushing players to move on when the, they really should be telling them you need to work through this, but they just look at trying to put a kid in his best position instead of realizing that now is probably a better time to work through this than later. <laughs> Not that uh, sometimes they probably aren't right that a, a player could use a different uh, situation. I... Like, look at the transfer portal from the Frozen Four perspective. And not that I wanted to hear Michigan Tech named, and the only way it came up was because uh, um, Donahue transferred from Tech to uh, St. Cloud. But you can't, how can you look at that situation? I, now, granted, I know none of you are complaining about the grad transfer type transfers, but. How can you look at that situation and not tell tell me that it was a good that he was able to do that and ends up on a team in the Frozen Four? I have no problem with the grad transfers. We've talked about that before. Yeah, you know, if you get your degree and you know you're moving on, I was when I saw what was happening to Lake State this year. Before doing a little more digging into it, too, it looked like it was terrible. But then you look at it, and I think five out of their six transfers are grad transfers. Yep. Only one of them is not, and Lake State doesn't do graduate school. So, you know, if you're going to continue on in college hockey, you don't really have a choice. A grad transfer is, is a grad transfer at that point. It's, I don't have a problem with that. And um, it's not like I can't imagine staying at a school, especially if you're not on a full ride, to just start working on a second minor. <laughs> or, yeah, second degree. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or a, a second major, yeah. Yep. Yeah, to me that those those type of situations those are fine. They they make sense. Where I struggle with it is if we take out the you know the year, take out the year of sitting, which is what's happened now. It basically allows for the cherry picking that we're going to see of and, and dividing the teams into you know 
tears, right? You, you let you let somebody go to a school, tell them, oh, we don't have time for you. Um, go play somewhere else for a year, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next year and see what happens. The, the portal, I, I'm struggling with that. I, to me, it just feels like a bunch of free agency, and are we just going to get to the point where we finally just decide that you know, college sports aren't about college anyways anymore, and they're just about D1 sports are just about the sports, and mm-hmm. we just throw the rules out and just you know, start signing contracts and right. trading players and, and either and let's, you know let's go down that road or not. Yeah, it, it, I think that's where I'm at too. It, I think the part that bugs me is it's a half measure. It's yeah. some it's it's some thing that the NCAA has cooked up to try to somehow save face and promote this you know obvious myth when it comes to their big sports of student athletes. You can't tell me that any of the football players and basketball players at the major you know, schools in those sports are student athletes. It, or at least 90% of them are. Or, or, yeah, 90%. But they're all chasing getting drafted. Exactly. It, it, it's, a, it's a half measure that they're trying to use to give – the impression that it is still student athletes, but give me the athletes essentially some sort of pseudo free agency. If you're going to do that, just let the cat out of the bag and admit that these, it's not about athletics. If you're playing at the highest level, they're essentially going to be club teams that are sponsored by universities, right? That's where we're going. Right. And, it's unfortunate because I am kind of in the same boat where it it's like free agency. I think is a boatload of fun to watch at the pro level, but it's not really the reason that I watch college hockey. One of the biggest reasons that I'm really into it is I think I told you is like the, the community feel to it. Like those are people you're that are sticking by your side. They're, you know, in the piss of school with you the whole time. And that's the you know that's going away from that though. I, I, well, exactly, I, well, like, but I think the I know it's it's totally been going away. But there is an extent to which you know, um, school is a part of it. And I completely had a way I was going to go with this, and I did it. I don't. I, I lost it. But I th- oh yeah, here it is. Here I found it. I found it. Okay, so great. What I've great always podcasting. found. Yeah, yeah. We can cut that part out. But to me, the. Uh, hallmark of the NCAA system is the fact that you have the potential to walk out with a degree when you're done. Like if sports doesn't work out, then you've got that plan B. So if we are going to go full minors to the club level extent, like Dustin was talking about, like that's kind of the movement we may see, like what is that restructuring going to look like? And I don't know, this is, this is just a whole can of worms. That's just going to end up being way more of a mess and I think what the NCAA has done is going to do way more to muddy the waters you know, than it does to You know what it. it's going to look like? It's going to look like teams have salary caps and players that there's going there are going to be some players that are more role players that aren't going to be your drafting drafted players, you know, that they're going to have zero salary but they're going to get a, everybody is eligible to get a free education but not required to. Right, so you're you're going to be paying maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars to your number one player on your team in football, your starting quarterback, you know, but yeah. your backup guard is going to, you know, he's not going to get any money, but he, he can take advantage of the free education. 
quarterback's going to go out and party every night. That, that That is the direction that they're going to end up going. I don't, like, I feel like that's a really smart idea. That's kind of a midway between, you know, full-on treating college like pro sports and still kind of going with the traditional system that we've kind of grown to love, but... Part of me also just doesn't feel like anybody's going to be smart enough to adopt that. You're, so you're giving them the opportunities, but not the obligation. I I I really think that's the best way to just mitigate the whole process instead of just giving the halfway rule. Just let the whole cat out of the bag and kind of approach it that way. But I really don't think anybody's going to come up with that kind of solution on the NCAA level. I think they're going to keep trying to put up the facade of everybody's in it to get the degree and people that declare for the draft earlier are one-offs, even though you've got like the NBA saying you've got to play college before we'll even consider you kind of a deal. And, and if the NCAA sticks to their guns too much on that, they're at risk of the power five football schools just saying, well, screw you NCAA. We're just going to start our own thing. But why would they want to do that? It's going to cost them way more than blaming the NCAA rules for why they can't. How much, how much money would be involved if say that, Say the top 50 football schools decided that they were going to start their own league. Think of the billions of dollars that they would be able to split. But I, don't already, think, I don't think it's – I don't see I don't how it's a whole lot bigger money. pot than what they're getting now. That's what I mean. Like the problem isn't how big the pot is they get, Dustin. It's that if they split away to do what you're saying, it's going to cost them more than trying to hang on and follow NCA rules of not paying them not or, a, or letting them – I feel like the they're going to stick to their guns on not paying them and find a way to give them, like, it's going to be them getting their own money from likeness rights versus them paying. Because the other problem they, they, they've been avoiding, one of the things that bugs me the most about college athletics is because it's not a job, there's no, uh, like, uh, uh, workers' comp or any of that. They don't have, they're not required to provide these players insurance at all. Like, if you get hurt and you can't play anymore, like, they're not responsible for your medical bills at all. Funny you mention that, on, Tim. That's on I was, you. I was, I was sitting on a plane several years ago. The guy sat next to me. We started talking about hockey. Turned out he played for the Belleville Bulls in the uh, OHL. And he hadn't even finished high school coming up through the Canadian system. And he got hurt. And he had nothing. And he was talking about how hard it was to get his life back together again. Yeah. No, so that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of risk they run. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, there's stories out there about like a basketball player blowing out his knee. He gets cut before he gets his degree, and he's got he's basically bankrupt because he's got this medical debt that fall, fell on him. Like that's that's the part I don't yeah. like about the way things are now because they're not counted as employees. I agree with that, and that's the biggest. Those are the biggest kind of like scenario issues that are brought up when players are pushing to be treated like employees to be compensated for playing along with generating you know millions of dollars for the school and not really seeing any cut of that other than their fancy facilities with their giant ass baths and all that stuff that they True, have like but, the, but that's only generating power five anyway there's that and then there's all they're also generating comparable amounts of money to nfl teams and they all have that and still get paid so I got a question for you guys, and this, this is, I think, uh, part of this. What percentage of college hockey players ever collect a single professional check? Anybody know? Anybody have any idea at all? I would, Whether you play I'm in gonna, Japan or you play in China or you play in Europe? 
Well, you I'm throwing a guess of five percent. Well, I'm going to guess it's way more than that because it's any paycheck, Matt. Yeah, oh, any paycheck. You're not oh, talking about paycheck, NHL. Fifteen to uh, twenty. Okay, fifteen to twenty. I was about to say. I was about to say fifteen to twenty. If we're doing any league, then yeah, that's probably about accurate. So one and eight, one and eight to one and five, get something out of it other than a college education. Hey, that's pretty close. But even then, you're talking about anything below AHL. You're talking about basically a a starting engineer's salary or less, right? right? You're not talking about yeah. $100,000 a year no, even no. until you get uh, – like I'm sure Chris Connor's doing just fine, but if you don't reach that level, you're basically just at an entry-level job type pay. Uh, and, yeah, and, hope, like, and hoping you get and, your shot. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like Most ECHL players are making less than me, and I'm on like a contract for a medical company. Yeah. Yep. And I have no idea what it's like for, like, the Alex Patan, uh, why can't I think of his name now? Uh, Brett his younger Olsen, brother, Nick. No, or, Brett Olson type guys that go over yeah. to Europe yeah. and play there. They're, I have no idea. They're, what... get, they're getting housing, they're getting meal allowance, and they're getting a little more than spending money. But they're, not yeah. getting paid, they're not getting paid a wage. Nick Patan is making plenty of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's nothing. He's... Nick Patan's doing fine. <laughs> Carrying on the time-honored tradition of the younger brother being the better hockey. Well, I remember when I was, <laughs> when I was coaching midgets, midget travel hockey, and uh, I told all the parents, and I had some really well-to-do parents who thought their kids were all going to be NHL stars. I told them, we'll be fortunate on this team if we have even two kids who play Division One college hockey. Okay. And they were like, "No, it can't be right." And I said, "Yeah, it's that's 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 the reality." Now this is, and that and know. that's a much higher percentage than pretty much any other D one oh, yeah. sport. Like hockey is your one of your better shots at right. it because of the limited pool Absolutely. to begin with. Well, I, mean, I was lucky. Is, we yeah, got we got three. Here. We got yeah. three, but they I all played at Wayne State. That few years Wayne State had a D one team. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, they wouldn't have been any. Which makes it <laughs> yeah. crazy when you hear about like. I mean, this applies to probably Tim and me understanding this reference. When you hear about like the '93 Bloomington Jefferson team having 16 Division One players on that high school team, is that the one that they wrote the book about? Yeah, with Tom Gilbert and all those guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good book. It's 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 still in print. It's it's a really good book. It's insane when you when you think about that kind of stuff. How how good some of them teams can be. To kind of circle back to the first point that Mike made that, you know, approximately one in eight to one in five hockey players walk away with something other than a college education. I wonder what that number looks like because it's an NCAA problem. So I wonder what that looks like when you extrapolate it on through basketball, football, tennis, running, all of that. I don't know well, there's, well, what kind of opportunities there are going to be on college for that kind of stuff. There, you know? there are 60 college hockey teams roughly, right? Yeah, around there. There are 300 college basketball teams. And, and basketball so start there. So there's 300 of them. Then you've got football is 100 and some, I think, right? 120, roughly. Yeah. On D1 or FCS, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about that, and then you're talking about college football rosters are 25% larger than a pro roster to begin with, and then you're cutting it down at least at – the, Hockey also has the ECHL, the CHL, the like, and Europe. Whereas basketball is basically the NBA. Well, there's I Europe. don't even there's, know if there's Europe. 
there's, there's Europe. Europe. Got there's, the, there's Europe, but there really isn't any minor NBA or minor basketball in the US the, anymore. They still got the D League. Don't don't disrespect the Grand Rapids oh, Drive like that. But that's it. Like <laughs> it's they're owned by Ben Wallace. That's pretty sick. But at but least that's uh, my at least a while ago, you know, there used to be like the 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 Iowa Barnstormers and all those teams and like the lacrosse. Bobcats and whatnot, but like those teams, like that league is gone. The Continental Basketball League, like there is really, no. there's basically the D League, and that's it. And that's not really for a yeah. yeah and that team uh, that Will Farrell played for in Flint, don't forget them. Yeah, the Flint Tropics, right? The, the Flint yep. Tropics, yeah, yeah. But that's that's definitely a really good point because hockey's number one got a much smaller player base, and number two has many more leagues that play. Yeah, like there's just. There's garbage hockey being played at every hour of the day if you look on a lot of sketchy illegal sites. Like one of my favorite facts is that there's always hockey being played somewhere in the world. But that's a really good point when you've got, you know, like maybe a quarter of the players with maybe five times the opportunity to go do something professionally. Yeah. Well, the point I was trying to make, guys, was, you know, any of these young young adults, and they're almost all adults, let's face it, you get a lot of people who don't even start until they're 21 or 20 years old. And if they're not smart enough to realize that they should be getting an education, I don't have much sympathy for them at that point in their life. If they were 17 or 18 years old, I could see it. But some of this is, it's not just the advisors, it's also the families. The parents, I don't know how many parents you've worked with of, of elite players, but you know, there, there are the good, the bad, and the ugly in that group. And there are a lot of good ones, but there's an awful lot of bad and ugly ones too. And who yep. just push their kids and, and really put their kids in a, in a poor long-term situation. And I think that's part of what's driving this mess too. No, I agree. Cause I, I think the parents are as much of the problem as the kids to, to giving that impression that my kid's not going to be the one that gets left right. behind, even though Michigan has 35 kids committed or whatever, right. the, exactly. whatever it is. Like, exactly the, right. like they've been instilling that belief in their kid, for a decade already trying to tell them that they're the best and they're going to make it instead of being honest with them about like, look, go someplace where you can play regularly because you want to play and get your degree. Like, and maybe that's not Michigan tech for some kids. Cause they're not, uh, let's be honest, smart enough to get through Michigan tech. Like that's not that that's a possibility. Like I, like I don't have a problem with that, uh, but know what you're getting into how is North Dakota going to keep everybody that they have coming in happy while adding all these transfers? Like, I don't get that. Like how many kids are going to leave North Dakota next year because they didn't get their shot this year. Cause instead of having to play the young kids, like they have been like, that's the biggest change for college hockey is those big schools are now able to replace their early departures with veterans instead of rookies and keep their class sizes more even again. And then if you get five early departures, you just replace them with five juniors and they stay two years and you get uh, normal classes again. I think that's where we're headed, which basically takes away the advantage the smaller schools have had for the last, what, 15 years of being able to to build a team and and try and have a really good team when the right senior class gets there, kind of like Michigan Tech has coming up, and we'll get to that later. That was actually one of the questions we had, but like, uh, so that's what's going to happen, I think, with the big schools. And the answer to 
pulling that off as a mid-level school like Michigan Tech is, to me, is having the right culture that you've built that program to the right way that Trenton Bliss doesn't want to leave because he doesn't want to let down his teammates that he left them when it's their senior chance to put it all together, right? That's so you've got to get to that point with these players before they leave. You, what you're saying is basically you need to follow the Duluth model. Yeah, I mean that's you. You hear that every year coming out of Duluth the last couple of years of we, we're not going pro, we're staying for our next year because yeah, we know we have a chance and they have certainly been very successful over the last 5 years with that yeah. that type of that type of attitude at a relatively smaller school relative but they are in the right conference for it too so that helps yeah agreed but you're right that that is the model that Duluth has kind of built with that they've managed to find a way to get these kids to stay there a year longer or two than you'd probably expect otherwise and this might be the first year in a long time that they've had multiple early departures if i remember um but it is a i I mean that's the answer and the my big question and it goes back to what we talked about either the last time or the episode before that was uh is joe building that culture like like what is he doing to foster that and is it working and how how do we judge that from a distance without being able to be in the locker room and 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 it t- kind of ties into his comments on the joe sean hour last week about uh like what he thought perceived bantle's reasons for leaving were and how much he thought how how much different perspective of michigan tech can be after getting a chance to uh, basically participate in the track A part of things and get into the community a little more during the summer well, I think, and everything. I do think that's something that may play into, you said that you didn't get a normal experience anywhere in college hockey this last year, right? Right. And if one of the big benefits of tech is the culture and the community around it, you didn't really see that this year for anybody that came and played because of the way things were this year. Or, or the atmospheric no games. Like, he didn't get that's to experience exactly, that. That's yeah. exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah, yep. right. So that makes sense. And the other thing is he's going to Wisconsin. He's from he's from Onalaska, I think, right, is where yep. he's from. Yeah. yeah, lacrosse area. There's no way. Yeah, right, just outside of lacrosse. There's no way that – Someone given the opportunity to go play for the Badgers that grew up in the state is going to turn that down. Well, technically, he's not supposed to know about that till he's in the portal. Well, yeah, you know that's not happening. Though. Uh, that's the, <laughs> the other issue. Yeah. And I did laugh that one of my main points with the whole transfer portal is at this point, it is complete BS that the transfer portal lists are not public. And one of the things that came out since we last recorded is that supposedly the NCA is going to start tracking IP addresses of the people accessing the portal because I would not think that um, I can't think of his name now that Sloshman, Sloshman would actually have a login to the portal, like given to him by a coach. I would assume a coach is just feeding him. So the IP address doesn't help. Uh, but, if there are coaches that are dumb enough to give out their password to whatever that system is, 
Like they deserve to get in trouble for that. Like I, but I don't imagine that's how it's happening. I imagine it's Sloshman's talking to Brad Barry or whoever, wherever, and being told certain things, and that's not going to stop. But if that's the way the world is going to be, then I think the transfer portal list should just be made public and get rid of this charade of be having it hidden so that it so that instead of us getting to know what certain people want us to know it's all just public and not hidden anymore that's the way it should be i i don't like I, it at all tim let me ask I you i definitely agree with that let me ask a question here from the yeah. uh you're raising the issue of the culture attack yeah For, forget the fans and stuff i know that was a big issue bob's absolutely absolutely right on that i mean it's just it's absolutely right on that no question that was a, a drawback issue but how many guys do you think are having fun playing the style of hockey that Joe is setting up? How many guys uh, do you think actually are enjoying it? I think Blake Pietola enjoys it. That's about it. It's a goalie. It's a goalie's dream. Yeah. And I just don't think they're they're playing a style of hockey that's fun enough to attract that kind of player that you have to have to get over the top. And, and, regard- and they want to keep them. Well, I'm sure Joe's answer to that would be about like winning is fun right absolutely and, right but, but but you but you're not winning often enough and it feels like the the team is is holding their sticks too tight constantly fearing for making mistakes and that's not a fun way to play hockey no. um, Re- regardless consistent. of style if, if if it's too rigid that you're too scared to make a mistake regardless of style it, it's it's not it's going to take the fun out of it right right you need to. You, there needs to be some flexibility involved. I think. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a hockey coach, but I, I just feel like anything. If you're if ever if it's too rigid, it's not going to be fun. And maybe that's something that that Joe has figured out. Hopefully, he's able to you know, introduce that into it a little bit more. Be a little less. Um, I don't know how to say it. Be a little less you know, hard on, on the guys if, if they do make a mistake. You know, if, they, if they make a mistake, but you know, there's a reason for it. You know, they, they they jump up in a play or something like that. Then, sure, talk to them about it, but you know, give them the flexibility to act on their hockey instincts and and you know try well, to make a play. Well, talking about that specifically, like the way you're talking about that kind of reminds me of our discussion with when Jamie Phillips was on and how much before he got here, Joe was beating the drum of one out of seven scoring chances. And suddenly we have Jamie Phillips here and it feels like it's it's gotten a whole lot better because it's not about that number anymore. It's about like the reality of the situation and, and a little more understanding versus just beating the drum of one out of seven or you get benched, you know, like, and I hope, like, I'm not saying, who knows, like, when I watch practice, it looked like they were having a good time and and having fun and, and enjoyed it. And I think a lot of that can come out of who's your leaders and how much you're being able to, to find the fun, because, I mean practice and and everything isn't always fun right it's just not like that's the nature of it at times um but yeah i don't i it feels like joe is adapting in some ways 
and in other ways he's not and but i'm no expert on any of that and obviously we don't get to see practices or any of that but it does feel like uh i think the one thing that kind of ties into that mike is the fact that it feels like too often joe struggles with like the way he talks about the failures feels like he doesn't put enough on his shoulders mm-hmm. where it always felt like even though i maybe didn't agree with what with what mel said at least mel made it sound like no matter what they were doing wrong it, he'd always follow it up or lead it with that's my fault that's on me and I, you hear that very rarely from joe not that i don't think he realizes it but like maybe not so much last season either but it it sticks in my memory that it felt like joe was really struggling with um who to blame instead of just being like the buck stops with me kind of talk at -hmm. times um or or a lot of times he's talking about how he's not able to get through and it's like well that's why you get paid 200 some thousand dollars a year is to find a way to get through if the way you did it 10 years ago isn't working you need to figure out a different way Mm -hmm. and you've got plenty of connections to talk to other people whether it's cam or or blashel or whoever to try and understand how how to get through now um so that's so so would you rather lose five to four or two to one consistently well as a fan five to four right but as a player even as a player well the the correct answer is mike i the answer is i don't want to lose well i don't (laughs) i've always said it i hate one of the reasons i almost didn't want to go back and play after i had a lot of orthopedic surgery was losing was more painful than winning was pleasure for me always but that's not a good attitude i know it that's that's a bad attitude that'll get you but it's a good attitude for a d1 athlete right well it is a good athlete for some because it pro keeps aspirations it's good yeah. pro aspirations but um even so i still think a lot of younger players as long as you're getting to put the puck in the net some they're going to be happier than if they're never getting a chance to put the puck in the net yeah well and and to be to be fair to joe for the most part this season the chance to put the puck in the net was there they just failed <laughs> Like, wow, it wasn't, did they ever? Did they it ever? wasn't. It wasn't for lack of opportunity. It was. That's true. Joe, I mean, Joe built the system that put it, put it there on the platter for him, and they just failed. And they need to figure that one out because that was the flaw of this team was the inability to score when given the opportunity. And and we can kind of get into this question, and it comes back to you being here today, Mike. Uh, but uh, Marvin Wilson wanted to know. That he recalled you predicting that 2021-22, nice mouthful there, that's that next season uh, to be the year with the seniors being the best class since your days in Houghton in the early 70s. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your confidence in the team this season and who will be the biggest surprise with a better than expected season? So do, do you still stand by your previous statement about uh, this being the year? It, it's still the best freshman class I've seen since the freshman class that eventually won the NCAA tournament, but they've fallen a long way short of what I thought they would accomplish. Yeah. Um, I, I particularly think that, like you said, the ability to put the puck in the net has not developed the way I thought it would. And, um, you know, the defense has developed okay, but not that great. And we lost a couple of players who I thought would develop and didn't like Andrew Blount. 
I thought he had a lot of talent. It was clear he didn't fit in at all, even watching him play. He didn't seem like he was enjoying it. He, he's a hothead, and he yeah, didn't like he not playing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like I said, he didn't fit in, nope. which we don't know is sitting as far back as we are. But you look at this, the, the key seniors, and I think there's really five of them. You're talking about uh, Allenon, Bretzman, Bliss, Swire, and Goats. Okay, those are the those are the five key juniors from last year's team will be in that class next year. They haven't come as far as I thought they would. So on my scale of one to 10, I'm no more than a six. I thought about Mark's question, but I'm no more than a six. I'm a little disappointed, but I still think they're the best freshman class we've seen literally in 40 years, almost 40 years. We've never better, had that much talent in one class. Better than the Blake Pietta, the Tanner Carroll class. Um, you had a couple of key standouts there, I don't. I forget who were the defensemen in that class. That's the key. So it was, yeah, it was Justin Fillion, Jimmy Davis, Blake Hadela, Tanner Carroll, Blake Piedela, David Johnstone, and Riley Sweeney. Yeah, I, I don't think that they measured up in terms of depth. Listen, listen, listen to that. No, the, but those, the guys those that follow were very better. good. Yeah, yeah the top, the top four are good. Yeah, defense wasn't very good at all. But that's just that's my take on. It. I mean, that since you asked me directly, that's my take on. It. I still think they're they're good. We'll see. It's this is a year where if they're going to blossom. I mean, I thought Halliman would just tear things up at this point, and he he works his tail off. I mean, the guy is just he's just a dynamo out there. But again, he's not putting the puck in the net. Uh, Bliss and Brunson missed a lot of wide open nets this year. Wasn't wasn't he hurt? Wasn't Halliman was hurt for a while this year, right? I don't remember that being the case, but. Uh, you know, he, he kind of got in Joe's doghouse his freshman year there by missing an assignment right. or two. And that's when he got his mother going after <laughs> us on, 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 you know, on my column talking about it. Because it was clear Joe was picking on him in the show. And I tried yep. to, I didn't try and expose him either, but it was clear he was picking on him. But Hallam mentally got to be tough because he didn't seem to bother him at all personally. But he just hasn't developed the, into the scoring machine he looked like he would when he was a freshman. Um, and, and, Sawyer started showing, I think, a lot last year, but Goats just seems to be a little too timid. He started out last year playing well, and then he just sort of faded in the background and was happy to sort of have a secondary role. Some guys don't want to be stars. Some guys just don't want to step up and be stars, and they'd much rather be, you know, ace supporting role players. And I think too many of them are comfortable in that role. And that's really what I've seen with this class. Uh, still, I'm, just, I'm relatively enthusiastic about next year, um, partly because the goaltending will be strong. But, um, you know, how much – and the defense is growing. You can see that. But, uh, you, you know, just like what Tim was talking about, got to put the puck in the net when you get good chances. And uh, not one of these guys – you know, the only one who's a sniper on the whole team is Ashbrook, and he just fell in our laps. I think we're going to see a lot of two-to-one – three to two games and hopefully we end up on the right side of it. I I don't see this team scoring a ton of goals, but they're not going to give up a lot either. Right. But no, you know, I'm you're in every really game interested. that way. You're in every game that way, Dustin. But you lose you, no. when, when when you're when you're the one or the two and they're the two or the three, you're gonna lose more of them. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at people like you know, you think about Bemidji and uh, Minnesota State and last year Lake State, they found a way to get those extra two or three goals. They found a way to push through. And uh, if we don't do that, it's going to be another year just like the last one where you'll, you'll, you'll beat the teams you should and you won't beat the teams you'd like to beat. And 
I think we're all of us in the same boat saying we finished fifth or sixth in this new league. Not one of us is going to be happy. Nope. No, how, no, I don't no. care what, what show they put on in the playoffs. We're not going to be happy. No, this team needs this team needs to get home ice. And depending on how the rest of the conference is, all I care about is home ice and being what? At least 19th top. in the pairwise? Like yeah, top 14. The bubble. Top 14 in the pairwise is what it needs to be. Yeah, I, I want to be in the national conversation. I don't feel I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit there and say, yeah, we've got to be dominating that that's that yeah. discussion. We gotta be in that national discussion. People have got to be saying, better yeah. be careful if you play the Huskies from Michigan. No, I, I'm I'm hoping that we spend large swaths of the season in the top fifteen, but I don't I don't think I'd be upset if we finished third and were like the first team. I I'd be upset, but depending on how the season goes, I'm not sure I'd be considering it a failure if we're the first team out. I think that's one of the toughest parts for me as Michigan Tech is you see Bemidji State doing it. You see Minnesota State doing it. You see Northern having glimpses of it. You see Bowling Green having glimpses of it. And you're like, like, we, we got there and then we fell back and now we're stuck in this spot that's not good enough. And and I think that's been our biggest concern with the whole contract situation is like in some ways Michigan tech fell into a great situation with the contract because of COVID and everything and, and being where they were at, they had an opportunity to, to, and we can get into this now um, the contract itself, but like they had an opportunity to walk away from a coach that wasn't doing good enough without paying him any buyout. That doesn't happen often. And and it's not a good situation normally to be leaving your contract to the end like that, but it worked out okay because of COVID that, that kind of gets missed that he was in the final year, I think, in a lot of ways. It, I don't think it hurt recruiting the last year and a half or anything like that. Um, so instead of cutting bait, and trying something else. Not that I thought there's some here that think that was the only way to go, but I'm, that's not where I was. Like, I really want Joe to get this year to prove me wrong that, that he can completely turn the corner and, you know, be fighting with Minnesota state this coming season for the McNaughton down to the end, whether or not they get it and be a team that's in the national conversation to make the tournament like Bemidji and Lake State ended up this year. And we'll actually have pairwise next year, so I don't know how that'll actually help or hurt the CCHA. Uh, But instead of cutting bait, they give Joe a three-year extension, and the, the addendum to the contract is very short language that basically just changed the language on... Uh, Joe's cell phone and gave him a revolving contract that basically says on or before every uh, June 1st uh, Joe will have a revolving three year contract unless either party decides that they no longer want to continue to extend it another year and I had a lawyer take a look at the addendum and the original contract, and he pretty much confirmed what I thought, that 
unless uh, the two parties decide that, or one of the two parties decides that they don't want to continue to extend the contract and then let the coach coach two more years, Michigan Tech is now in the position of paying Joe a buyout of one year salary, no matter if they if they ever decide to let him go. Um, and that's basically the way it is. I. I guess that makes some sense. I don't know what... Uh, oh, and then the other thing they added, which makes complete sense after going through a pandemic, was adding a force majeure uh, uh, section, which makes complete sense to uh, protect themselves from another pandemic, which uh, the word pandemic is specifically used in the force majeure <laughs> portion, which I, I'm honestly surprised wasn't in a general contract for a head coach previously, but it's pretty straightforward. The problem with the contract is you basically have to buy him out no matter what because it's highly unlikely that you're ever going to say uh, before June 1 that we don't want to extend you anymore but have you stay two more years and coach the team. Because uh, you you're basically it, agreeing you, to... Or you, do that? That, or you do that and your expectation at that point is he's just going to leave. <laughs> right, right. right. He's either going to be upset about it and try and find another job and you'd probably give him permission to do so or uh, uh, or you just let him go at that point. But um, I don't know. I mean, it's not... I like... I like the, the... Other than the other issues of what's going on, like, I think on paper it's a good setup because there's no raises built in. Like, it's basically we're paying him this in perpetuity, which isn't bad. That's a good thing. There's no escalation to keep paying him more and more and more. And I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's a perfectly good length of contract that, like, as long as the school's happy with me after your freshman year, I'll still be here for the rest of your time. Like, it's not a bad length that way. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to think other than like the fact that it's signed and he gets more time. Like it's not a surprise at all. I am kind of surprised that it doesn't have specific language about a buyout being less than a full year salary. Since we'd basically, if we ever, uh, if Michigan tech ever turn terminates this contract on Joe, you're basically paying him what Mel Pearson gave Michigan tech. Uh, so maybe that's, how they look at it too that they're they're breaking even on that but uh what are your guys thoughts on the contract i i like the length i like the terms um i think it's about as middle of the road between people that have had a distaste for joe and people that want to keep seeing him going i think that you know the bottom line for me is that i do think that we've been middling to a point where we need to keep our fingers on the pulse of what's happening but in the same breath, I don't think Joe has done anything so horrible he didn't deserve to be at the table to have that conversation about where the goalposts should be and what the expectations are going forward. Because, you know, you think about it, in his first season he had the Icebreaker Championship. He was able to win the uh, second GLI that Tech has won since I've been alive, which is big. We've been beating the hell out of Northern lately, which is just... And, and I can clarify that, Matt, to, that that's yeah, the second yeah. one since I've been alive, too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, so let's put it let's put it into perspective there or, as Or well, maybe the so. third. Maybe I was five months old for one yeah. win, but yeah. So, I, I especially with not knowing the results of the 19-20 season, I think that 
it's the right contract. I think it gives enough safety for both sides. And I think, you know, this is the put up or shut up year where we've got to see some improvement. I'll, I'll get on with you guys and say, I'd like to see home ice or I'll get my pitchfork as well. But it's, I, I have a tough time poking too many holes in the contract or the length. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, there are two things for me. One, uh, sometimes people don't think about this. I think he's, his, his players have graduated. A lot of Murley. They've got great GPAs. He's handled that part of that coaching very well. I think the community likes him, by and large. In fact, in many cases, almost to a fault. Um, but that's part of the that's part of the job these days. Um, yeah. And uh, he's a genuinely decent human being. Um, and, and the academics mattered to me because that was one of the things he asked about. You know, did, you know how many guys graduated? Well, ninety four percent of McInnes's players graduated over his entire career. Ninety four percent. And there's something to be. If we're going to talk about college athletics, I think that's not tri- that's not a trivial point. At the same time, I think the uh, the goal is if you really want to be in this, and I think you know Tech has made a commitment to do that, then you got to be in it. You can't just be in it to be a participant, which they were for 25 or 30 years. It's a gradual downhill situation. You got to keep committing. And uh, I know you guys saw the thing I posted online about uh, you know Huntsville now has a 1.7 million per year endowment basically for the next 10 years said if they can raise that we should be trying to raise that too some so they've had yeah that's one thing that's one thing you haven't heard a lot with joe is any of the fundraising style stuff i haven't i haven't there's not been that type of scuttle much uh, around that which is interesting um that was definitely something mel ramped up right right away when he came in was fundraising for anything that he needed to spend the money on, right. right? So, yeah, yeah you know, that is an interesting approach. For, for me, that that's part of the concern I've got longer term is being a college coach in, in a in a Division One program that, that has some revenue generation, and for Tech, it is the revenue generation. You're not just the coach. You're the CEO. You may not be the chairman of the board. That's your athletic director, but you're the CEO. And if you look at people like Nick Saban, Nick Saban – has done an incredible job on all fronts of that. He's found every loophole in the NCAA you can to bring more people on the staff. He's raised more money for that university than they ever dreamed he would raise. And that's one of the reasons he's successful year in and year out is because he's actively engaging, not just on the on the field in his case, but he's actively engaging on the entire agenda, which is, let's face it, one of the reasons to have a big program like this is to drive fundraising. And it's not just about the athletic program. It's also about the academic programs in the school. When Tech's doing better, I guarantee you they're getting more alumni donations. I guarantee it. And so mm-hmm. that's a part of it. I'm not sure that his growth has reached you yet. I see growth in his ability to coach the players, as you talked about, Tim, in terms of being able to change on the go and during games, which I don't think he was before. I see growth in the way he's handling young players. I see that, too. What I'm concerned about, are we going to see some growth in these other areas? He's barely learned how to handle the media. He's lucky being at home. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to struggle with that too much. And he gets softball questions. And, from, he, from, and he's lucky that when he sure. has had his gaffes, that it's in Houghton compared right. to, like sure. he gets beaten up by the by the college hockey media when oh, he yeah. makes his gaffes. But that doesn't really affect him in Houghton because no. most of the people in Houghton agree with what he's his gaffes. So because it's, no uh, one, no one in Houghton cares what that idiot Dilks has to say. Right. Well, it's not even Dilks. I mean, uh, 
Jasvina, is it Singh? I can't remember her last name now, but uh, like she's ripped on him before for certain things that he said, and he's deserved it honestly for some of the things he yeah. said. But it but it rolls off him in Houghton. It just does. But if he said those same things at like Minnesota or in a big more liberal community, he would be in a lot more trouble than what he has for some of the things. Uh, and that's it, and it's, part and of it's, what I th- go ahead, yeah. sorry, Tim. No, go ahead. Like that's that's the problem I've had is like he he has been a little too uh, blunt on the edges compared to what yeah. he needs to be for the public face. I mean, honestly, he is basically the public face of Michigan Absolutely. Tech. Absolutely. And yep. So yeah, that, sure. that's my biggest concern is can he move into this next phase, not just of developing players and graduating players, which I think is important. Can he move into this thing of being not just the face of hockey, but being a, a potent uh, financial element of the university community. And I think that would win him a lot more friends and influence a lot more people in the administration too long-term and would yeah. cement him and he'd be able to recruit better. And it could be happening on a, and a, like it could be happening on a, uh, a player basis too. Mm-hmm. Like that, that group of people that used to play at tech could be getting pushed. But yeah, I don't feel that at all as a, uh, an alum or, or much of a push at all from a, a booster perspective. And there certainly has been no announcement about right. anything close to like what Huntsville did, even from a perspective of like, there hasn't been anything from Joe about like, here's where we think we're deficient. Help us replace that thing. Right. And that's always been a success for tech of having a focus and doing it with whether it was the new seats or whether it was the education center or whether it was redoing the, uh, or like getting the jumbotron and that kind of stuff. Like if we had a focal point, I think we always succeeded. It's just, we haven't had that in, I don't even think we've had that since we got the, the jumbotron replaced. The jumbotron was the last big ticket item that I, I can recall from the hockey program. Yeah, for sure. Then it should be a question to the administration. Why is it, why is there not a focal point? Because like Mike just said, they've been talking about knocking out that wall for the last 50 years. Yeah. And there's a waiting list for suites. So why wouldn't it be a priority to create more money? Like, if you can bust out that wall on donations and put in 12 more suites, why wouldn't you do it? If you, And maybe the problem is, is the waiting list is six, and they don't want to put in 12 and not have them full, right? They want that demand economic of, like, they're all taken all the time. I don't know how long that list is, but that's a possibility, too, that it isn't long enough yet. But even if it's not, why aren't you getting that money, like... I'm still convinced one of the things that they're missing out on with like, they've got the bar now, but why wouldn't you have an actual club level where you can sit in a seat with a beer? Like you, a you specific much... air, like, like that bar should like those seats that are like that open end of the rink that they, a lot of people like to stand at the rail there and they put, they move the bar back so people could still do that. That's wrong. In my impression, they should put in permanent seats in front of that bar and have the bar closed off. And those seats that go down to the, to the, to the ice right there, should go down to the ice and that area should be roped off and the only way in and out is from the top and you have to be 21 to be in there and you can be in there and actually drink in your seat and Mm -hmm. it would be like a nice club level where they could bring you meals and all that stuff and be like a full service almost like it's a suite but not quite as much and you're still on the same end as the suites like 
I don't understand why they didn't do that. And it's not that expensive, honestly. Do you know how much money I would donate to a an initiative to put in a beer garden club level, like exactly what you're talking about? Yeah. It would be a lot more than I've donated so far. Yeah. And not only could you put, <laughs> and not only could you put the bar there, you could also have seats on the concourse level that basically go right up to where you, the top row can basically punch the bottom of the suites and you've got what? Another I don't even like it it'd only be like 500 seats or so, but you're talking about a higher cost seat because you're either including beer or getting 6 bucks a beer. Like but I understand, my guess is that that's not going to happen because of the community. Like, the Which kind is stupid. of. I, yeah, it is. I don't understand how uh, they've already crossed the barrier, crossed the Rubicon of having beer at the games. Why does it matter if you have beer games in your specific seat that is in the section that is okay? Like, uh, I don't. Yeah. It doesn't well, make there, any sense. there are some liquor law implications that you have to. You have to manage it. There's, I'm also going to tell you guys this, that uh, one of the biggest reasons that Tech is having trouble um, putting more seats in is that we don't sell out what we have. Like, the the more likely scenario in what's going on here is that they make one of the sections that already exists into a beer garden. Like, I agree. But I you think can't what they're do doing that right because is... it's not segregated enough, Matt. Like, I get what you're saying, but they always used to have bleachers down there. Like, they they, yeah. they existed. Like, there used to be bleachers where the beer garden is yep. and the pep yep. band was in it. Yep. Like, it's like if you want to, I don't know. Like, I, I don't have a, like, it's not about capacity because first off if you add seats you technically don't have to add capacity because our capacity is already way above the number of seats in that building like there are not what is it 5200 seats in there or whatever there aren't it's not about adding more seats it's about adding a higher class of seat that's going to attract a different type of person because the suites are sold out and there's a waiting list so adding a tier that's in between the two is a good thing. Like, why wouldn't you want to create an area where you can have your drink and actually watch the game and it's not in the suites? Back up a little bit. I mean, the point I was trying to get to, not arguing about what they actually (laughs) do there, was if you're not improving the program in a physical plant sense in terms of other prestige issues, you're falling behind in today's environment. To not, well, it, to not be advancing on a continual basis every single year, you have to add more. If you don't, yeah. you're falling behind because that's what the better programs are doing. Yep. And it's, but I think the interesting thing about you saying that, Mike, is it's not like Michigan Tech isn't doing improvements. Like the skating treadmill's gone, and that is an awesome theater room now. And the locker room, I think, has been redone. Mm hmm. At least since uh, Mel was there, I'm not sure when that actually happened, but I thought it actually happened under Joe. Uh, like it may have been started by Mel, but it's not like those things haven't been progressing. But there hasn't been any kind of fundraiser drive that I know of since nor, nor, the jumbotron, nor attendant publicity to promote it. That's true, and that's one thing that is missing is more attention and. Uh, and I do think one of the other big things to me that I feel like Michigan Tech and the CCHA or the WCHA was missing out on was 
like at a certain point I finally started seeing some like coupons for like one day access to the mm-hmm. to flow hockey. I think they've been really missing that where they get a chance sure. to give out the product for free. Like I really hope the CCHA does a game of the night or a game of the week or a game of the month to at least like allow people to see this stuff for free without dropping 150 bucks because it's not uh, like I don't mind spending it because I'm going to watch a bunch of games. I don't spend it and who knows I might next year because they might not do that. I don't know. But like they I feel like they're missing a huge opportunity of getting people in the door, especially this year. Like, why wouldn't you? have i don't know what happened with subscriptions but like why wouldn't you have gotten given away some games for free to give people the experience of checking it out and being like well i guess i could spend 15 bucks a month on that or mm-hmm. 150 oh, bucks i agree, for I the, agree. Year. the whole marketing of tech project text program nationally or even regionally and the marketing of the league was substandard now you may remember we had uh, a new pr guy from uh, CCHA on. Yep. Um, and I posed a question at one point about, uh, um, you know, taking a small town attitude. And he basically said, well, that's what we are. So we don't want to get outside of our, outside of our roots here. And I, I think that's, that is what will hold you back. If you, if you take that attitude and you believe that, then that's all you'll be. If you want to be big time, you got to be big. You got to commit to being big time. You don't necessarily have to be a big, population center to do that you have to you have to be leaving yourself you have to step up to the plate and be big whether you whether your local local thing is is big or not you need to present that in a lot of different ways you can't promote it in every way you're not going to be able to do the same thing that say boston college is going to be able to do being in boston like there but of course they're competing with three other big time programs right literally within blocks of where they're at but even so you've got to take a bigger approach if you want to be big you can't just be the little the little power that that sort of snuck up on people for very long in today's environment. That was the model tech had back when I was a student, and you know things were great. Even then, we were like we're the little guys, we're the underdogs, we're everyone loves us because of that. Today, that just doesn't isn't going to work. Mike, what you just described is exactly what Mankato did. They just decided they're big time. Yeah, Mankato is not the little guy anymore. They That's decided right. they're big time. Exactly. And- Exactly. That became that. If you if you if you believe you're small, you'll be small. And mm-hmm. what's happened at Ferris? Yeah, right. They just let that they've let that go downhill. Well, and 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 that does kind of come back to the way Joe constantly talks. He talked about it last week on the show about the the struggles of recruiting to tech instead of, uh, and some of that's his audience, but it also feels like sometimes they act like it's a way bigger crutch than it is, and. I do want to pivot just slightly from the comment you made too with the CCHA and the media. I don't know how much you follow on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, but I've been really happy with watching the countdown of the CCHA oh, and yeah. the level of people that they're actually getting to comment. It's not. It is. Yeah. It is going outside of the Absolutely. scope of just that small local uh, group. You're you're getting NHL players. Yep. You're getting yep. alumni. NBC uh, former. Former coaches, yeah, been- broadcasters, exactly. It's I've been really impressed with the the media blitz that's been going on from the CCHA perspective. The only part it, I don't like about it is it feels like it's WCH, the new WCHA part. Like the aspect of it feeling like, like I I was hoping they'd treat the CCHA like it's just the name instead of acting like 
it's the same league with a gap. That's the part I don't like about it is the talk about like Bowling Green's championship yeah. or or whatever. Like that part I'm not big on, but I do like how much effort they're putting in the people they're getting to talk and the fact that they're basically inserting themselves into the news, which I never felt like the WCHA did. Yep. Yeah, I've been yeah, very I, impressed with the campaign so far that they've been for this countdown. Uh, but again, it just, it's the comedy made in that thing that worried me about it. But you're right, they're stepping over that, and that's good. But now the individual institutions have to back that up. The individual yep. institutions all have to reach for a higher profile. And it's yep. going to be different for each school. Each school should have their own approach. But every school has to reach for a higher profile in one way or another. And that's and something I, I I'm worried think, about. I do think when we talked to uh, Dominic about that, that I got the sense that the the comment that you're focusing on was more about like we need to realize that we are small town teams, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we can't be big dogs. Was the way I okay. took it. Okay. Like I took it as we don't want to forget that we are like basically. I think he was talking about it from like yeah, Houghton and and Big Rapids and and Sioux on the U.S. side are not that big, but we can still be the the big fish. We are like they are the most important team on campus, so let's not forget let's not forget our roots. But we know we want to be a bigger deal than what we have been. I'd love that. Yeah, I'd to, love that. To kind of build on everyone, I think I I agree with Tim where I don't really like the the approach that's being taken where it's the same league with a gap. I think that feels kind of weird, but at the same time, it's with somebody who's coming from more of, you know, the communications marketing kind of background, it's really refreshing to see like such like a bold and, you know, forward thinking marketing strategy before we really get into it. Like sometimes it does feel like the same thing every day, but they're getting some pretty high profile people. And like you said, some people that it might be a little out of the scope just because they had some connection to a team in the league. And it just, I think it's kind of a cool little preview for what I'm hoping to see every week from Dom. And to kind of build off what Mike said, this is another conversation that we did have with Dom while he was here, is that, you know, one of the biggest things to consider with Dom coming on as, you know, the head of strategic strategic communications for the league, if I can form a complete sentence today. <laughs> but um, he's got a lot of really great ideas, but a lot of his ideas take a lot of money. And I think you can take that, you know, kind of description of him and kind of apply it to the whole league where this is going to take a lot of buy-in from all the institutions on many levels to kind of make that jump up to where we want to be. These schools can't be afraid of spending money. And yes, yes, I understand that there are budget issues, but if you want to be big time, you don't get to be big time unless you are spending money. You're absolutely right. Dustin. And I do That's feel like over the years, the teams that are in this league save maybe two of them have shown that in salaries they've kept up to some extent like they're obviously not paying what michigan and minnesota are but it's not just stepped up i know i know it's not just salary it's it's every school in the league needs to have these same conversations that we've been having about mcginnis or the arena yeah every school in the league needs to be constantly looking at improvements at facilities. It, it, it's not, you know, the issues that we're seeing at tech are going to be the exact same issues you see at every institution in this league. And all of them are going to need to spend money on personnel, on recruiting, on facilities, 
on I think advertising, that. on everything. Yeah. Well, and look at look at the the backwardsness of Bemidji State deciding to get rid of the public television. Like, how many people in Minnesota watch those games, and how many of them would be watching now? I because watched, they're on public TV. Like they're the only game in town that's free. Like there wasn't there wasn't a weekend that I didn't have a Bemidji game on if they if they were on TV. When if they were home, I'd throw yeah. a Bemidji game on every weekend. Me too. Because it was it was the one I could access for free. Like I could put it on any TV in the house. Because PBS is always the channel you can get just throwing a random cord on the back. Like I could shove a piece of copper in the back of my TV and get PBS. <laughs> yeah, Lake, Lake Lakeland TV was everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't hard to get those games, and they were worried about it hurting attendance. And it's like, no, like you got the old Bill. Uh, what's the name of the old Chicago Blackhawks owner? Oh, Dollar Bill. Words. Dollar Bill Wirtz. Yeah, he 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 was screwing over the TV contract because he thought it was hurting attendance, and it was completely proven wrong. Like, you oh. want you want you need the you want to be out there. <laughs> the, you want to create yeah. the interest, and the the fans will follow. Like. It's not. I think we yeah, you got to take a second there to really like expand upon that. For people that don't know, a brief spark notes on that is that the Blackhawks owner for the longest time held out, and there was no TV contract for the Blackhawks at all, just because he thought that was what would drive attendance up. Like the Blackhawks, you could not watch the Blackhawks on TV in Chicago. Think about how ridiculous Which is, that is. It's like the most asinine idea ever. Look at the look at the TV contracts that the NHL's getting now, and it's like, oh, I. I I want. Yeah. I want to make sure I get enough gate revenue. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry to take it a little off the rails there, but I think no, that's no, important that's a good for one. people to understand. No, no, you know, no, I yeah. don't just. That's fine. And but now look at if if uh, to kind of take the derailment a little further. Look at Sinclair Sports now. How like how is that going to impact? Attendance don't even start. Don't even start if, me on that one. If the average the average American can't watch their team. Because they're in how many markets? It's not like it's just the Twins and the Brewers. They have like what half of the the pro contracts in the in the oh, like in the country yeah, are under Sinclair. And most people cannot watch Sinclair Sports unless you have whoever your local cable provider is. Are they even on Directv anymore? I don't think so. I don't know. I think they're off that one now. But you know, and you know what? Yeah, my favorite NHL team is the Wild. And this is the best wild team in how long? Yeah, I don't care. Basically since the wild had their one run, right? Right. And and I don't care because, you know what, I can't watch them. Yeah. I, I look and see what the score is in the morning but and Twitter, but whatever. I, I really don't care. I can't watch them. They're, they don't let me watch the games. So why should I care? I'm not going to go buy a ticket. Yeah. And unlike, and the most interesting thing to me on that topic is, unlike uh, the Wild, the Minnesota United actually basically went back to Sinclair and said, "You're screwing our fans. We need you to come to an agreement with CW and put some games on broadcast." And they have, I think, seventy percent of the games that aren't on national TV are on uh, over the air in the in the metro even though they're supposed to be exclusive to Sinclair uh, on Bally Sports North but not that I should have even dropped that name cuz I don't want to help them at all with their trying to make money every way they can cuz they don't want to uh drop their fees at all uh, anything else guys otherwise I think I have enough to edit now 
Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. No, thanks for joining us, Mike. It was nice. Uh, That should do it for this episode of the Chasing McNaughton podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. Patrons at our black level or above receive an authentic MTU jersey patch and access to extra podcast content, including extra or extended versions of every podcast. Patrons at the white level or above get access to the monthly Zoom chat featuring guests like John Scott, Joe Sean, Brad Patterson, and more to come. I am hoping to get you guys one yet for May, and hopefully I'll be editing this podcast to tell you when that is. Uh, follow us on Twitter at ChasingMacPod or at Tech Hockey Guide. You can submit your questions through our email address, ChasingMac at TechHockeyGuide.com, or send a voice message directly at Inker.fm slash ChasingMacPod. The first person to submit an audio question will receive an authentic MTU jersey patch. That's been on like a month's worth of podcasts and you guys still haven't done it. Come on. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find the podcast on your site of choice, please let us know and we'll make, make it happen. The more you rate, review, and share, the more people we can reach. So tell your friends. As always, special thanks to Mitch Lake for recording our introduction. And also special thanks to our patron saint, Doc McRezen, for his generous donation to get this thing running. We hope you enjoy and special thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers on this week's episode if you like what you hear check them out at the thank you notes.bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm.